but the thing I see time and again is if you're a sales manager or an, a company executive, that your dashboards and metrics are not set up the right way. Because if you don't have dashboards or so clear metrics, then you really don't know what's going on in your business or in the team. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I'm really excited to bring you Aaron Ross, who uh, is one of my favorite authors. He's going to be talking about why salespeople should stop prospecting. Aaron, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here, Stephen. I hope no one had a heart attack after you just said that. <laughs> no, no sales managers had a heart attack. Well, maybe a few did. But... A few. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron is the author of uh, two best-selling books. The first one, From Impossible to Inevitable, a fantastic book, definitely worth reading. And then Predictable Revenue, what he came out with two, three years ago with Jason Lemkin, and also a fantastic book and really worth reading. Aaron's a highly ranked international speaker on topics like sales, business growth, innovation, how to create predictable, scalable revenue. And then he's got a company with uh, easy to remember, same name as the book, Predictable Revenue Inc. And what they do is they help business be businesses become more successful through outbound prospecting framework that creates incredible sales growth. Let's uh, jump into it here. Aaron, most salespeople are responsible for generating their own leads, but yep. you have very clearly stated that this is the wrong approach and that salespeople should not be prospecting. Could you tell us why? So, uh, well, first of all, I'll be upfront and say that the idea that salespeople shouldn't prospect is a bit of a, an overstatement. It's a bit of a dramatic statement to get people's attention. The reality is that salespeople shouldn't do most of their own prospecting, maybe a little bit. But let me talk about why. I'm just going to let you know, I also have nine kids. So the chances of someone breaking in here, like the, uh, what was the, the CNN live, is, is a high probability. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 18, 18 months up to 19 years. You never know. It's just like a, it's a horde here. <laughs> it's a, but, uh, well, we're ready for the curveballs. Yeah. So I worked at salesforce.com years ago when it was a lot smaller than today. And what I saw through there and, and, and working with companies after is that when you rely on salespeople to do most of their own prospecting, you can't build a predictable sales machine or predictable sales result. Because a lot of times salespeople, they may not want to do it. They may not be any good at it. And even if they are good at it, then they have to juggle sales and closing and prospecting. And that's just really, really hard to do. So what that means is, well, let's jump to the solution. One thing that companies are doing now, and this is, this is standard practice in Silicon Valley, They're the ha fastest growing companies in the world. But a lot of companies don't do this practice of, we call it sales role specialization. Sales role specialization means that you break things out like a sports team, right? In soccer or football or basketball, you don't have everyone do everything. You don't have people go out, all right, everyone defend and score. You've got specialists, you've got, uh, in soccer, you've got a goalie, you've got defenders, you've got attackers. In basketball, point guard, center. So why don't we do that in sales? Well, the answer is we should. So in sales, the equivalent is saying we have prospectors who prospect. They do most of the volume cold prospecting or assist in the prospecting process. There are uh, closers who close new business. If you have inbound leads, you have a separate function of junior salespeople responding to them. And then... For customers, you've got different roles around customer success, managing customers, account management, their services, kind of like all the post-sale customer services that need to happen. Right? These four core roles, outbound prospecting, inbound lead response, new customer signing, and post-customer services. When you do that, then you have a system that you can enable predictable results. You can, uh, like repeatable results because you've, created a situation where people can do fewer things better. When one salesperson is trying to prospect and close and manage customers and maybe get some leads, I guess too much. It just, it's inhuman to be able to do all that well. It's very rare to find someone who could do it all well. You know, it's like the unicorn hire. You can't build a team around that. You can't build a, a repeatable sales system around that. So that's, that's the first step is that sales role specialization. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, Aaron. You know, obviously, you've been really influential here in this, the world of uh, software as a service. And, and you know, I, I heard this message years ago when, when you kind of uh, pioneered it at Salesforce. And now they're obviously a $100 billion company or something. But, um, you know, when I talk to my customers who are much more free, they're, they're not in SaaS, right? Because most SaaS gets sold over the phone. They're outside salespeople. The, this message has not reached them, frankly. Um, in, ge on, uh, in general, I would say this message has not reached them. They're much more likely to have, you know, oh, here's the sales team. We have, a, we have our sales manager and we have eight people on the team and they are responsible for sourcing and closing. And uh, I regularly get in conversations where I'm basically just uh, repeating things that you that, that I learned from you and uh, and I'm like hey have you have you guys thought about splitting this out like you have your account manager to manage the deal and but after he after he sells it or she sells it how about they pass it to someone who's better at you know managing the account going forward and and because you can have someone managing the account do a whole bunch more accounts and that's and do, and do it well do it better. Yeah. the specialization yeah absolutely they 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 get good at fielding questions about the actual product as opposed to fielding questions about the sales process. And, you know, the, then on the other side earlier, earlier in the funnel from your, from your account managers, what if you, uh, what if you had people assisting them in their lead generation, making phone calls, setting up meetings, list building. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And of course there's going to be a lot of salespeople who say, I would love for someone to help me with appointments and to set up appointments for me but my management will never go for that or maybe like it just wouldn't work because I have to go knock on physical doors or whatever the reasons are. Usually it might be my management's never going to do that. So we can talk about what to do. And still, if you're a salesperson, you're out there closing deals, you know, in your, with your car, you're walking, whatever you're doing, how, what do you, how do you apply these principles to still get better? Even if your management's not ready to specialize your sales team and your sales roles this way to give you more support on the lead generation front. Yeah, well, I, I guess let's talk about that. What do, you, what do you recommend there? Yeah, well, first I'll say that if you are a manager who's listening, why this work, one more thing on why this works is that you cannot create predictable revenue unless you have predictable lead generation. In other words, if you have a predictable way to generate sales appointments, you'll be able to create predictable sales. Right? And this is, this is the predictable revenue book was the original one that sort of got into this and... Um, I created the outbound sales process, the prospecting process at salesforce.com. And that helped add a hundred million in a few years and, you know, by more than a billion dollars now to their revenue. And I've helped companies build outbound prospecting teams and apply the principle. So that's one thing I I'm known for. It's like a specialty is the outbound prospecting. And I, I will tell you right now, the only way that you get great results with outbound prospecting, the only way, is when you have people dedicated to it 100%. When you have people doing it part-time, you can get some results here and there. I mean, whatever results you're getting, it will be better, far better, when you have a team of people dedicated to doing it well. Right? That includes you have them, they use your CRM system better. They are more, uh, they, your metrics are clearer. They are just get better trained because they're doing it all the time, they become experts in it. So what if you can't do that yet? Again, maybe you're a salesperson, maybe you're a manager, and you're like, we just, it's too, we can't do that yet. So the way salespeople apply this principle in the field would be, ultimately it's about focus, doing fewer things better. So the simplest way is to start by, so let's say prospecting is a thing that you struggle with. Now they could be calling on customer, you know, calling current customers or whatever it is, but prospecting, so you could start by applying it with your calendar, which says, Certain times during the week, it could be a day a week, it could be two hours at a time on certain days, you block out time to prospect. Because right? you're, you're really just creating space to do one thing really well. And you, it's really hard to prospect or impossible a few minutes here and there. So what that looks like too, if you, for most people who struggle with accountability, if there are a few superhuman people like Elon Musk who can just do whatever he needs to do, but a lot of us, and I'm in that included, I need to block out time. I probably need an accountability buddy. It's like starting a new exercise routine. I need a time and place to show up. I need someone there who knows, like if I don't show up, I might disappoint them or we can you know, help each other. I need some kinds of goals. I need some structure to get me to start it. It's easy to start doing this, but then you fall off track. How do you start it and keep on track? So 
I, I went, I'll just repeat those quickly, right? So you block out some time on your calendar, at, at least 90 minutes at a, at a slot. Ideally, you have a buddy. You have uh, some goals, like what do you want to get out of this? It could be weekly activity goals. It could be revenue goals. You start with weekly goals. And you get some feedback along the way. So, you know, whether it's with yourself, your buddy, or manager, every week, so you're sort of checking in on, hey, what worked and what didn't around this process to make it work for you. Um, so that's one thing. This is the ultimate thing is if you don't create that time to prospect, the techniques aren't really going to matter. You know, we can, we can talk about the techniques as well. But first, you need to create the time and the space to do it. And blows blocks of time laid out. Yeah, and I, and I would, uh, I think that's fantastic advice. I would add one layer to that for, for field salespeople. When I go out and meet with teams, what I recommend they do, um, and, and I usually meet with our customers and stuff, right? So they, what I recommend they do is they look at their day because they can't just brick, they can't take a block of time like that because they're, they're out in the field and their leads have to be generated face-to-face -face a lot of the time. So let, for example, if you sell stuff to dentists, you have to get in front of that dentist. If you're selling insurance to businesses, you need to get in front of that business. True, but, but actually just to interrupt, like, and I've had dental you know, clients, there's a lot you can do at home on the phone to prepare mm -hmm. before you show up. Because if you, all you're doing is showing up, it's incredibly inefficient versus you can use, if, you're, if you are selling to like dentists, like smaller shops, phone, the phone works best, right? Try either, of course, schedule appointments or even call ahead to find out would it be a waste of time to visit them or not. Like if you mm -hmm. sell, I don't know, dental supplies, but you only can sell to chains where there's at least three locations, if there's only one location, that's a waste of time. Yeah. So what can you do to, when you go out in the field, which is very, when you're actually out there in your car walking, which is very expensive on your time, how do you make mm -hmm. sure you get the most out of that? And that's part of that is at home doing the preparation, what's like the list review, whether it's like doing call or emailing to make sure that when you do show up, when you do knock, you get the most out of that visit and you're not going to places that are a waste of your time. Yeah, that's great advice. Qualify up front. And, and then, uh, and make sure that it's it's appropriate to go to this place. Mm -hmm. The uh, and, and then and, and that that gets back to planning, right? And so then once you're once you've got your general outline of what you're going to be doing for a day, I recommend picking a number of of leads that you're going to go after. Just you know, if if you do have to, you've got your qualified list, and now you you do have to do drop ins to get in front of people. Mm -hmm. yep. I, I recommend choosing a goal every day and being like, well, I've got five meetings set for today. And, you know, along that route, I'm going to drop in on five more cold, 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 uh, cold drop ins, going to drop off my card, drop off the, the, uh, the written materials, say hi, try to set an appointment for, yep. uh, for later, the, for, for next week. Yep. And, uh, and, and, I, and for different businesses, it's a different number, but pick your goal and go after, and, and every day, just make sure before you're going out in the field and you're making your plan, plan those 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 drop-in appointments and plan those those meetings so you're actually getting that up it's very similar to an inside salesperson or someone who can do it all inside planning a brick of time to make those phone calls yep now um one more thing i do sometimes you do need to get out get out you need to get out there and you got to go visit your appointments and do the drop-ins it's interesting um again like a, a company that sold software to dentist offices Smaller mm -hmm. chains, you know, one, two, three, four, five kinds of locations ended up being able to do most of the appointment setting and demo scheduling over the phone. I can't say how much they did end up having specialized prospectors as like inside salespeople doing a lot of the work for salespeople. So you may not need to do as much in person of the, of the raw prospecting as you think. It might be a lot more over the phone or email you can do before you get into your car and go visit people again, which is very time expensive. Yeah, especially if you've got one inside person covering a team. Basically, well, if you do have a team of, let's just say, eight people, consider getting your next hire as being someone inside to support them with that kind of air cover because they, they uh, that especially if you're splitting that across, it may be very valuable. And then if it really works out, maybe you get a second one. Yep. So I will say, here's a great fun, you know, I want to say it's a fun fact, but a, a fact which is if you do, if you can get someone to, if you have them or you get someone to hire an inside prospector, I often call the sales development rep or an outbound SDR, a lot of different names. Mm -hmm. um, somebody to do a lot of the prospecting or the, or the prep or pre-appointment preparation. 
um, you, they shouldn't support more than about four salespeople because otherwise they get too scattered, right? They get too unfocused. And the name of the game here is focus, doing fewer things better. Yeah. Uh, I would say too, one more, te- one more technique that uh, worked amazingly well at salesforce.com that really was a breakthrough and doesn't, it still doesn't get enough use today is the idea of a referral technique. So it's sort of a friendlier way. It's a less salesy way to go into a place or call them or email them and start a conversation. If you haven't tried it, I would highly recommend it uh, for two reasons. And I'll tell you what, I'll go through the, what the technique is. Um, this technique, it not only is a little friendlier, it's not as salesy, right? So it's easier to start conversations and it makes it more efficient for you to get to the right person. Or sometimes you're not really sure who they are. So the technique is very simple. Again, whether it's on over email or in person or over the phone, it's essentially, hey, Steve, um, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm a little bit lost. Do you mind telling me, uh, I'm not sure to talk to you here. Can you point me to the right person who handles X? Or who here would handle, handle Y? And what that does is, even if it's like the right person, let's say you're trying to talk to an office manager, like that's your goal, mm-hmm. and you're asking them, they would say, oh, it's me. But if it's not them, they're like, well, okay, that would be our head of operations or our, or our owner, and that's John or Sarah. Oh, okay, well, hey, what's the best way to get in touch with them? Or the, there you can go into a little bit of your elevator pitch or a little bit of a, a spiel, but because, again, it's not threatening, it's very friendly, it's more research-based, it just it works really well as, as a way to start conversations, whether it's email, phone, or in person. So if you haven't tried that, try it. Okay. That's fantastic advice. Um, I think everyone could learn from that one. If you can get that, uh, I've found when you do, when you do that half the time, they're just like, Oh, the best ways with email, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll introduce you or you can ask, Hey, well, would you be able to introduce me? And they just tap them right on the, on the thread or they start a new thread and, and yeah. make the introduction. And that's, that will get noticed, right? That, that doesn't land in anyone's spam box. That doesn't get skipped. It's like that people pay it, attention to that. It works. So the other thing is too, if you, if you're too, I feel a lot of, from my uh, coaching lots of salespeople over the years, if you have a lot of, you've done sales for a long time, you tend to be, you know, there's this habit of like trying to get to the decision maker, get to the decision maker, get through the gatekeeper. So along with this referral process, so I call them the referral method, which is who's the right person. And there's the direct method, which is, you know, who's the decision maker. They both can be great. So you want to have both at, at hand. The referral one tends to work more often, more easily. But uh, I feel people who've done a lot of sales for a lot of years often struggle with it because they're so used to trying to get through the decision maker. They get to the decision ma- to you know, get through the gatekeeper to the decision maker that it comes off as very salesy and it makes right. the it makes the gatekeeper very defensive. Whether it's an office manager, a receptionist, uh, or executive assistant, so I say your gatekeeper can be your best friend. Like if they like you, they feel like you're not a sh- you know. You're not a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the tone, the way you talk. It's the, how you carry yourself. Do they feel like you're just trying to get something out of them? Or do, you, or do they feel like, hey, you're just like a regular person? Um, then they will help you. They will give you the name. They'll give you the introduction. They will uh, tell you, give you any kind of like simple qualifying information for you. Just tell hey, who, if this is a fit or not. So don't try to just get through the gatekeeper. Try to make friends with the gatekeeper because they can be incredibly helpful to you for that next step of an introduction to the right person, to the decision maker. Very great advice. Just, just awesome. I guess, uh, next question. Could you, uh, talk about what else sales managers can do to develop and structure their sales teams successfully? And, uh, I guess from a framework perspective, could you walk us through this process from, inbound lead generation through to customer success management. Sure. Well, when we do, you know, I, I often do uh, assessments and growth plans for companies. Right? So go in, and a lot of them are like five to $10 million companies trying to grow, but sometimes it's bigger companies like Red Hat, which is a $3 billion. But the thing I see time and again is if you're a sales manager or an, a company executive, that your dashboards and metrics are not set up the right way. And, what that means is the, a common problem is you have sort of lead. There's like maybe one dash. If you even use dashboards, because if you don't have dashboards or sort of clear metrics, then you really don't know what's going on in your business or in the team. So that's the first step is if you're trying to improve what you're doing, you need some kinds of metrics to help you gauge what's working and what's not. 
They're not the answer. And choosing, choosing which metrics to use in the first place. Is it right. number of leads? Is it number of um, signups? Is it number of meetings? What, you know, what, what are the key things to measure? Everyone, everyone's great at measuring dollars of revenue closed, but there's all these yeah. it, things that happen before that that are measurable. And if you can kind of focus in on those and, and get people thinking about them, yeah. you can improve it. And so this is the way if you step back and again, whether you're a sales manager or a CEO, need to be able to measure, everything can be a funnel, right? There's your lead generation funnel, and then there's your closing funnel. The lead generation funnel, though, needs to be broken out into two, at least two sections, right? There's outbound lead generation, which is cold calling, cold email, you know, you're, you're prospecting. Mm-hmm. And that funnel and the metrics in that funnel are different than the marketing funnel, which is if you have, mar- hopefully you have marketing, uh, where they're generating leads, through advertising, website, webinars, and they're being, you know, trickled down, hopefully being processed by, again, the call it market response rep or an inbound SDR, you know, filtered, routed, ideally then setting appointments, passing appointments to, this, to the field. But that funnel, the inbound funnel and the outbound funnel are different, different metrics, different steps, different uh, rates and expectations. That's the first step. You have to have, separate those. And then the sales funnel is its own, different funnel. So at the point that there's an accepted opportunity, so whether the salesperson is creating it or whether marketing is or prospector, then, you know, a qualified opportunity, what does that look like through to close? So again, people don't break out their funnels enough into separate, you know, inbound, outbound and sales. And then on the metric side, I'll give you some sample key metrics that people get wrong or miss. So on, on really the one that matters is the, the qual, I was, there's different terms for this, right? So it's basically sales qualified leads or qualified opportunities or sales accepted leads. All that means is at the point a salesperson, ha- this, the closer, the salesperson has a meeting, whether they got it themselves, whether marketing generated it, whether prospector generated it, that's where it doesn't matter. They've accepted it They're to say, Hey, there's something here. I'm, taking it into my sales pipeline, my sales funnel. Like that's the key metric. And I think where people go wrong is if you have a prospecting team or salespeople prospecting, you can measure things like meetings booked. I mean, meetings set, meetings booked, calls, dials, but none of those really are as important as how many meetings happened that were then accepted by the salesperson. Sales accepted leads. So again, if you're paying people, like if you have prospectors and you pay them on booking meetings, don't. That's, that's no. Only on meetings that happen and of those, some, some, which ones are accepted. On the marketing side, same thing. If you have a head of marketing, don't measure them on them. Don't comp or, you know, their key metric is not number of leads generated. You should measure that. But the metric that matters is how many of them, how many sales accepted leads are they generating? If they created a thousand leads this month, but only a hundred ended up in the sales, you know, the pipeline of salespeople. That's the one that matters. The number of those opportunities being created and the dollar value of the, of the qualified pipeline being created, right? That's where everything meets is how much qualified pipeline, the number of those qualified, qualified accepted meetings are being created every month. And people end up measuring prospectors on meetings booked, marketing a number of leads and sales on close. And they're meeting that, that key point in the middle where everything hinges. Cause if you can measure the amount of qualified pipeline being created every month, if that's going up or down, that is your leading indicator of future revenue, period. Such a great insight. And so many people I know don't do that. They count leads. They count, I'd say almost everyone seems to count leads by number of marketing qualified leads, but not right. sales qualified. And then they, call, then they count sales. And this is a, if you took one thing away from this, this, that might be the thing is also start counting opportunity created by what's, what gets added to people's pipeline. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And you do need, it's a little extra challenge because there's some subjectivity. Like it's easy to count the number of leads created because it's like a, it's a system thing. Humans don't touch that. But when you have this sort of qualified step, it is a little more challenging because there's, you need uh, agreed qualification criteria. Sometimes what if a salesperson wants to do a favor for their prospector and accept it too soon mm-hmm. happens. It's a little trickier for some people, but it's the most important thing. And again, if you can get everyone to be on the same, measured on the same thing, it's so much more aligning because then you don't you go away from the whole marketing generated a bunch of leads, but they're all crap. And marketing says, well, sales isn't following up. So, the, so just to review, when you have 
that marketing sales divide, the two solutions that really make the biggest difference are when you have the, the SDRs, the internal sales development reps. Um, and there's the inbound ones, the market response reps that respond to marketing leads and make sure they get attention and mm-hmm. only pass over the good ones to sales. Um, that's a huge, that's like 80% of the battle to like bridge the marketing sales gap. But the other part is having that aligned goal where sales and marketing care about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sales, qualified leads, the qualified opportunities being created. That, you know, it, then, you know, as long as sales and marketing are talking regularly, pretty much fixes the whole sales and marketing divide. Such important dev- advice here. Well, I've got, I've got a question uh, that, that follows that. The, t- the, the business development team, your SDRs, um, the people making these outbound calls to generate leads and sales qualified leads, do you believe they should report to the VP of sales or the VP of marketing or something else? Okay, great question. So the simple answer is that when you're creating it, it's whoever is going to be the most passionate about investing in the team to make it work. Sometimes you have a VP of sales who doesn't really care or it's not a priority or sometimes you have a VP of marketing that really cares. So usually as it, as it gets built, this, this junior sales team, the, sales, the, the typical term is sales development rep, SDR. Again, you can have outbound SDRs prospecting, inbound SDRs responding to leads. Usually it ends up in sales at some point because it's part of the sales career path. But really it's about which executive is going to make it work, going to invest the time, the focus, the money, whatever it takes to get it off the ground. Because it can take you know, three to six months easily if you're starting from scratch to build the team, get it working and having it, you know, say, all right, I don't need to watch it every day. Like it's working. Like there's things we all need to fix that never changes, but it's working. Sometimes it's six to 12 months for the outbound side. If you're in, it's like a tough niche or uh, there's all, there's all kinds of reasons why it could take, you know, should it be more like three or six months or more like 12 months, but that's the typical range. It's not 30 days. That, that makes a ton of sense. In next question in your book, predictable revenue, you, you talk about cold calling 2.0, and I know you've continued to develop your thoughts here. Could you walk us through what you believe the best practices to approaching lead generation today? Not from how the team is structured, but actually, uh, how, would you, how would you go about generating leads? Is it best to use the phone? Is it best to show up in person? Is it best to use emails? Yep. And, then, and, and what does that look like? What does that email, you mentioned what, what uh, what the one, the one email strategy, but talk about phone versus email and what, yep. what you, how you do it. Well, I'll start with, um, so again, in the predictable revenue book, there's a section in here. You can't really see it, but you know, sort of the five steps. Mm-hmm. And really the prospecting begins with defining your ideal outbound customer. And I think this is where most companies and even individual, individual reps go wrong and not doing this to the extent they should. So they end up wasting a lot of time calling on the wrong companies. So step one, who's your ideal outbound customer that you want to, you want to go after. And those look like, Hey, which customers again, this is whether you're a rep or a team or company have been the easiest for you to close for the most money. You want to avoid the small ones that are hard to close or the small ones that are, you know, we all learn the smallest companies tend to actually be the most difficult just because they're, you know, scraping by and they need to get the most, you know, support for their dollars and, so for you, like which ones the easiest to win most money? Step one. Step two, okay, build a list out of it. And step three in the technique you refer to is um, it, it depends on the market. Uh, email in general works the best. So, well, really the best is email and phone together. But if you are going to smaller businesses like um, dentists, like if it's, it's really more like a solo shops, they, then email doesn't work as well. Either the phone or, of course, in person can work well. So phone and sort of researching and preparing at home and using the phone to pre-qualify and email sometimes works, but phone be number one before we got in person. So as you get bigger companies, email tends to work better and better and better. Uh, The phone is always important to balance it. Ultimately you have to experiment a bit for your kind of market to determine between phone, email, and maybe social and in person which could include handwritten cards or there's a really a million ways that you can, you can do things, mm-hmm. uh, which works best for your market. If again, you're, you're talking to like a, like car repair shops and they're just, they're not, they're not on email, right? They're on their phone, maybe text. It could even be the best where you go, you might go there in person. Maybe you call ahead. Are they there? Um, you go there in person. You might get, you might 
give you a, a cell phone number to text them with. That might, so you're, sometimes cell phones can work well. So the, experimenta the experimentation is important, but it's like know your market, know your customer, stop and really like, think about it rather than just being so busy going out there to get all the appointments you can. Right? I got to hit my 10 appointments that you're not, that you're just wasting a lot of time going to the wrong people just to hit an, an arbitrary number. And sometimes yeah, those numbers are pushed down by management. Ultimately, you want to have an agreement with your manager or executives on, hey, what's the right way to do this? The system. If you can create the system and everyone knows the system, then it's a lot easier because they understand how certain activities, you're not just doing appointments for the sake of getting numbers up, exactly how many appointments you need to take, what type to get to a certain revenue number. That's the goal. Predictable revenue. Like understand the system behind it so that if you can know how you get it, then you know how to grow it. And talk about that, that cold phone call. What's your strategy there? If you're, if you're trying to um, generate a lead from over the phone to a, let's just say a doctor or a, or a dentist or, or whoever, what, what is your strategy if you're selling to a small business of this nature as an outside salesperson? Yeah. So obviously a situation, it's easier when they have some kind of receptionist or office manager. All right. Mm -hmm. if, it's a, if it's a practice where it's really just the doctor and maybe like a medical assistant, those are tough because they're just, you know, they're busy. So let's just talk to, and probably they're not going to, they may or may not spend much anyway. Now let's talk about a, a, a practice where they've got you know, at least a receptionist or office manager of some kind. Mm -hmm. So generally, um, again, we've, we've already sort of decided, all right, we only want to target practices in a certain area or maybe they've got their certain size like there's at least three practices in this group so we've done that work and we call them um uh so call the you know you dial the number someone picks up hey it's jane oh hey jane did i catch you at a bad time so you need some kind of like bridge so don't just leap into your pitch uh and i say um yeah but what can i do for you well hey my name is aaron and so I'm a little bit lost. I'm not really sure who to talk to there. Can you help me out, please? And they'll say, um, yeah, like, what, who are you looking for? This is where, whatever, so in this case, I'll just use my own. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we work with companies to help them grow sales. You know, typically, we would talk to the owner or head of sales. Do you, who would that, who would manage sales there? And again, if you sound like, if your tone sounds like a salesperson, they're already going to be defensive. So if you sound like, hey, I'm just a lost lamb. That sounds like a lost man. You know, if you're on the corner out on the street and you're like, hey, is there a gas station around here? That's the kind of the tone because they'll pick up. Um, who's in charge of sales there? Like who makes, oh, that would be, yeah, our owner's Tim. You know, he, he looks at all those things. Okay, great. Um, is Tim, does he work out of the office there or where is he based? Yeah, he's here, but he's not here right now. I was, you know, I'm sorry to ask this, but what would be the best way to get in touch with Tim? To see if this would be something that would be of interest to him or not. Um, you know, email is the best. Yeah, well, do you mind? Do you mind sharing his email? Sure, it's Tim at blah blah blah. By the way, just so uh, in case that doesn't work, do you have a phone number for him? What's the best way to call him? Um, yeah, here's the phone number. So that you can keep. And then to one more step, is there anyone else there in sales who would care about this? Um, yeah, we actually have a sales director. So you can. By the way, you can keep going with this. Now, if it, they're a busy office and they're like, I got customers here, you, you know, so, but the point is with those calls, and I'm not saying the direct cold calls, the, hey, I'm going to pitch my service aren't, aren't bad. I'm saying this technique of um, like a referral call. We also call, sometimes call it a mapping call because you're sort of mapping out, you know, who's there, who what does what. We're not trying to sell yet. We're just trying to research. Mm -hmm. Who's the right person? Is there fit? How many locations? Do you already have X software? Can work really well because it doesn't trigger their defense. It's not a sales call. It doesn't trigger them to try to like hang up on you. And you can, again, if you make friends, not friends, but if they like you, they're going to give you a lot of information as long as they don't, you know, have someone breathing down their neck at the desk <laughs> in front of them. Right. Exactly. Oh, one thing that uh, kind of triggers with me here. Um, you've talked about uh, the layers of the layers of the onion concept. Could you talk about, could you talk about that really quick? Sure. Oh, and one clarification, that mapping call I just did, you could do that over the phone or in person. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Really same thing. Yeah, great point. So layers of the onion. Layers of the onion um, was in the predictable revenue book. And really it's the idea that a lot of times when people don't know us, we often try to move too fast. And we, we're going, it's on a date, you're just saying hi and going for the kiss. 
rather than giving them smaller steps to get to know you a little bit. So that might be, okay, they don't know anything about you or your company. What's a small bite, a first layer that you can give them so they can get to know you a little bit. That could be like an elevator pitch. So, and then once they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. What's the second layer? It could be showing them like a little brochure. You know, so if, if you give them an elevator pitch and that took them 30 seconds to digest, and then you might give them a brochure, which might be a couple minutes. And then the next layer would be something a little more. Oh, that makes sense, brochure. Then how about a demonstration, which might be 15 minutes. So you're taking baby, you know, more step-by-step step, rather than saying, going in, hey, can you want a demo? It's like step one, small. Step two, a little bigger. Step three, a little bigger. And then finally, sort of like the big ask you want. Um, another metaphor, this is squirrel, squirrel bites, which is a lot of times sales, people in sales go too fast in for the kill. It's like there's a squirrel out there on the grass or in the, near the forest and you've got a pizza. And you're like, hey, squirrel, here's a pizza. Boom. And just throw the whole pizza at them. Versus you put, take one little bite and put it out there and let them take a step towards you. Right? And then you put another bite and another bite, maybe a little bigger bite. And soon, theoretically, they're then eating out of your hand at some point and, and more open and willing to go through and receive the information that you've got from them. Squirrel feeding, call it. <laughs> Layers of an onion, squirrel feeding. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, the next section is uh, what I call sales in 60 seconds. So I'll, offer, uh, I'll ask a series of questions and uh, the goal is to answer them in 60 seconds. Oh, great, one of the rapid fire things. Okay, I'm ready. Exactly. <laughs> On the clock. Intense, right? Shooter. So number one, what are three fatal mistakes that sales executives often make? Okay, number one, two, and three. Well, basically the number one by far is not specializing the sales team. If there's one thing, if you, that's the number one, number one, number one. Because if you don't do that, everything else is far harder. That's number one. Number two, I think, is again, expecting your salespeople to do all their prospecting without any kind of support. It doesn't work. And number three is not getting your metrics, not getting, using the right metrics or the right systems to measure the business and watch the business, engage the business. The dashboards and metrics that we talked about in a little bit, the inbound outbound funnels being separate and the, really that uh, uh, intense focus on the amount of sales qualified opportunities being created every month. Those are the three. All right. What are the most important skills or characteristics an outside salesperson should have? Well, I think anyone in sales or anyone in business really has to be open to be coachable. It's, they have to be coachable and which is related to being adaptable and open to new ideas. Um, and HubSpot did a study and HubSpot was, you know, it's a billion dollar marketing company. Yeah. I've heard of them. And yeah. their, their number one sales hiring trait is coachability because if someone's not coachable, they're not going to be able to adapt and change because at some point something's going to change. And if you can't adapt, it's just not going to work. So coach, basically being coachable. Um, and you know, today being organized is, is, is incredibly important, especially for inside sales might even be the number one skill they need. But even for field sales and outside, you have to be organized. If you're not organized, you're, just, you're not going to be able to make the most of your time and, and not going to be able to know what's working and what's not. And that's just something you have to be able to do well to really succeed in sales today. Yeah, the, uh, it reminds me of a great quote from uh, Charles Darwin. I, well, I think it was him. I can't do this off the top of my head. But it was something along the lines of, the species that survive are not the strongest or the fastest they're the most adaptable basically yeah definitely some wisdom there well what is one thing that you think all salespeople should do to be more successful a habit a routine etc uh you know times to really sit back and review what's working and what's not you know, like that reflection whether it's in at work or in your life rather than just you know doing the same thing over and over and again trying to meet management's activity goals are trying to, and you're just doing the same, who, who said it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So it's like, try, you got to shake things up, try different things and sit back and, hey, did this work or not? What is your best piece of advice that you want the outside salespeople listening today to remember? If you can't get management to specialize your sales teams, take control of your calendar 
block out some time for whatever you need to do. Um, so there's, uh, I think there's a, a, the metaphor is, you know, you've got your rocks. There's like the big things you need to do, the rocks, and there's the sand. So rocks, you got to block that on the calendar. So for me, that could be even exercise. I got nine kids. If I don't block it on the calendar, it just, it doesn't happen. In sales, if you don't block the prospecting, whether it's the in-person or like the preparation, it's probably not going to happen. So like I live and die by the calendar because that shows me my priorities. So I think that's, you have to step back and be uh, aware and mindful of your time and how you use it. And if these things you just like, well, I can't get to this, that, or the other, block it out, block it out. Great advice. Um, what's the most important sales metric that managers should be tracking? Uh, so sales manager, so sales managers should be tracking, you know, my favorite is again, that best indicator of future revenue is the amount of qualified opportunities or pipeline being generated by your team or by individuals. So, you know, of course, if you're having problems, you're getting plenty of that and you're having problems closing, that's separate. But I think what doesn't get tracked enough, it's not just the number of meetings. It's not just like the number of demos. It's what actually gets qualified out of that. What's entering the, re the real pipeline. And it takes some diligence in pipeline review calls, which is um, how do we know what's qualified? How do we define that? How do we keep people consistent in doing it as a team the same way so that we can trust the metric, that we know what we're getting and what we're not getting? Because that's uh, another big problem is when people are logging things in different ways or maybe not even logging things. And then we don't know what we got. Like if you can't trust your metrics, you got, you got nothing. So impossible to inevitable is one of my favorite business books of all time. Okay. Looking, you. <laughs> you did a great job. Looking back, what are the most important takeaways from that book to you? I was really happy where I've had a lot of people say it's their, yeah, their favorite business book. So the takeaways from the book I would say is I always tell people that really to, to read it. It's like we're worth the weight in gold. And when I and Jason Lemkin, who founded this company called Saster, which is the number one SaaS software community in the world, the idea was, hey, there's a thousand things that you should do, could do to grow your business or to make more money. Right? There's, there's two, it's just, we're in this age of overwhelm. There's just there's too much stuff. And how do you filter all that to see what's useful? So the goal of that book was to say, here are the few things that affect your growth the most. Now it's really written for the C level for managers and executives, but the principles in there can be used by anyone starting any business. They're taking control of their own destiny. So what I learned was, for example, there's a lot of sales and marketing practices in there on how do you nail a market and how do you grow sales and build a team and so on. But in writing the book and Jason and I were talking, there's a section called do the time. And it's really like how long things take and things take a lot longer than people realize or really appreciate. So for example, we call it do the time because those big goals you have are probably going to take years longer than you want. And how important it is to be able to stay the course and go through the ups and downs of any great thing that you're creating. So in other words, if you want to personally increase your sales, like double your, your income, you think and maybe if I do these things by next year, I can do it. Oh, maybe, maybe it'll take three years, but along the way, you're going to, something will go great and then something will fail and great and fail. There's that the ups and downs of the journey. And if you quit too soon, then you never get to the, to the breakthroughs. So it's like how important it is to have people, different people call it grit or perseverance. Or just appreciating that you're not, when things are failing for you, you know, it doesn't mean you're failing. It means maybe some things need to be fixed or adjusted need to get through. But everyone goes through these ups and downs. Every entrepreneur, like Mark Zuckerberg, you just don't see it. Mark Benioff, Elon Musk, you just don't see it. Everybody has that. And everybody has problems. You just don't see it. So you think, okay, why is everyone else killing it and I'm struggling? Well, because people on social media, people post all the good stuff, but they don't post all the struggles. And for you, most people in sales, you're, you're 90% of your day is dealing with problems, right? You focus on the problems. How do I get customers? How do I close customers? How do I manage customers? So there's this natural kind of mental disconnect between seeing everyone else succeed. I'm struggling with problems. Why am I failing? Well, you're not, you're not. So it's okay. It doesn't make it feel better. Uh, just like, you know, you're not doing anything wrong when things are going wrong. Just keep going learn, adjust, and keep and stick, go back to where you're trying to get to. You fall off the wagon, get back on. And it just can take, it will take a lot longer than you think it will or should.
Great advice. As a final takeaway, what should our listeners do as a first step to optimize their sales process and generate predictable revenue? Uh, I would say go to um, predictablerevenue.com because there's links to this book and to the impossible book. So for most salespeople, the predictable revenue book is like a simpler way to start. And that's just predictablerevenue.com. It's on Amazon. Um, this, the, the newer book is the impossible book, but I think if you're in sales, it'll just, it's a really easy read. People say, um, the first few chapters, you'll, you'll get it. If you buy it for your manager too, because really it's written for executives as well. Start there at the, with the predictable revenue book. And, uh, I don't know, love to hear back from people. It seems what you think. So on the site or on LinkedIn, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, and my, you, or you can email me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at predictablerevenue.com. Tell me what you think. Awesome. Well, I'm going to try to summarize, summarize kind of what we, uh, we've talked about here because a lot of people are in the car, et cetera. So it's, and people remember things they hear it twice. So in summary of what we've talked about today, salespeople shouldn't do most of their prospecting themselves because it's just not efficient to juggle prospecting, closing and customer management all at once. It's crucial to specialize your sales team, have people who prospect, have closers who close, have people who respond to inbound leads and outbound leads or who make the outbound leads and, and have another group who's in charge of the customer assistance and managing that customer once you've made a sale to them. So that comes down to four specializations on, on most sales teams. Structuring your team in this way allows you to get repeatable results since people can do fewer things better and with higher success. The only way to get truly great results with outbound prospecting is to have a team dedicated just to that. So that'll dedicating a team to that will, will get you more leads going into the top of the funnel. If you're a sales rep and your management is not ready yet for this type of specialization to give you more support in your role, start by truly focusing on the most important activities that you're doing. So if it's in the field, uh, it's all about focusing on fewer, doing fewer things better and block out time to prospect and focus on just that for a certain amount of time, whether you have to do, whether you have to lay it out throughout your day or, or, uh, or because you, you have to do it all in the field, or if you can just do a brick of time on the phone and with research and a lot of people, a lot of reps will get more if they will be able to get more done if they're able to focus on the phone and, uh, and do, and take that research time sitting down and just block it out. The, the first step is to make the time for these things that are important to you and that'll let you close more deals later down the funnel. Also, make sure you always make the most out of your time. Uh, even if you're just, you know, you have a little time in the car or in between meetings, make sure you use that time effectively. Before you go visit prospects, have done, try to do some outreach already over the phone and, uh, and, and get those scheduled demos to use your time in the most effective way. We talked about the referral technique, which is a great way to start a conversation, a conversation with prospects, get the account mapped out and find out who's really, get, get your message in front of the right people. It's a more friendly, less salesy thing to do. And it's, it's also most efficient or more efficient for, for, for you to get in touch with a qualified prospect than just cold calling or, or dropping in. The success rate therefore becomes much higher if you, if you do this referral technique that we talked about. And, uh, and you should get more referrals that, uh, that you can get in, and, and therefore get in touch with more prospects. Don't just focus on trying to get through the gatekeeper. Uh, kind of re-gear re your thinking there and try to make friends with that gatekeeper. Have them be an asset to you to get your message in front of the right people. Next, when, when it comes to restructuring your sales team, first of all, you need to establish some metrics that you want to measure and improve on. It's important to break your sales funnel into different steps. The lead generation funnel should be broken up into outbound and inbound on the marketing side. One important metric, for example, is how many meetings were created that were actually accepted by the salesperson into the salesperson's pipeline. That's a great thing to judge both the marketing team on and the, the, sales, the sales team on. And, and that, that's a great predictor of future revenue. So focus on sales qualified meetings to get better performance and insights about the future. Outbound SDRs should be in charge of outbound prospecting and then pass on those qualified leads to the appropriate salesperson to close. 
when it comes to prospecting, start by clearly defining, defining your ideal outbound customer first. Ask, how do you do this? You, you ask yourself, which of my prospects, which, which of my, which, who in the world is going to be the easiest to close and make the most money per sale? Then find these prospects, make a list, and reach out to them with a combination of phone, phone and email. I mean, another way to look at this is the, is the go after the low-hanging fruit strategy. It might depend on the customer and the market, what works best for you, but just do your do, do research and, and that'll, that'll lead you in the right direction. Usually the phone is the best way to pre-qualify. It gives you the opportunity to find out who the right person to talk to is and, uh, and, and ends up saving you a lot of time if you, can, if you can qualify people out of the funnel over the phone or with a little bit of research. In these first cold calls, Channel the lost lamb is how Aaron described it. So you, the tone in your voice should sound like you're, you're asking for directions in a street corner. You need help to, to find the right person. It, it shouldn't be salesy early on because that puts up people's defenses. After you know who to go after and who's, who the right, who, who, you're directionally going in the right place within an account, then you can follow up with email, in person, um, to get an appointment, et cetera. Remember the layer of the onion principle where you give the prospect more information and value step-by-step step in each interaction. So don't start with a big ask right away, like asking for a demo, um, but start by giving them a brochure and then a little more and a little more. Don't throw a pizza at a squirrel. So being organized and coachable, meaning more adaptable and open to new ideas is absolutely crucial to, be, to, to your success in sales. Aaron's number one piece of advice for salespeople is to take control of your calendar, block out time for whatever you need to do, especially the big, important things. Finally, I would personally recommend to everyone listening to, uh, to get Aaron's book, Predictable Revenue, as well as Impossible to Inevitable. Both are fantastic books and really worth reading. And it'll really help you improve your sales processes and understand how sales teams should be structured and be more successful. Definitely very influential on, on my, think, my, my thinking over the years. So Aaron, we talked about where, where listeners to, where our listeners can, can read more about you and reach out to you. Uh, well, the site, best site, predictablerevenue.com. And then we have to email uh, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at predictablerevenue.com. And you can use that to find me on LinkedIn as well. All right, Aaron at PredictableRevenue.com. So, well, hey, I, I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you have any feedback or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at feedback at OutsideSalesTalk.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to it. Leave us a review. Helps, it really helps us spread the word. Again, uh, Aaron, thanks for coming and talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Steve.